We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. Make a difference today for someone who is fighting for their tomorrow. When I look across this arena, and when I talk to people, and I look up here, you don't need to be a Russell Wilson, an Aaron Rodgers, to make the difference out there. Every single person in this room can be a difference maker. You can be just a normal person who gets up every morning and goes to work, but you can be a difference maker. Put the smile on those faces. My kids, my friends, when they came in to see me, not once did they ever have a frown on their face. So I just urge anybody out there, if you have somebody out there suffering, it doesn't have to be cancer. It could be somebody you're not having a good day. It could be your mom, your dad. It could be your grandparents. What you say to them and the smile that you have on your face, that can be the difference in them making it the next day. Remember that. Always, always persevere. Like Jimmy B said, never, ever give up. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Bell Report podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger, who is newly a Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, sitting right next to me. And that was Hall of Fame quarterback Jim Kelly speaking at the ESPYs on Sunday night. It's back, ladies and gentlemen. Football is back. We made it! Good Lord! It feels like today would never get here. I mean, not to disparage fans of baseball, but in terms of sports, summer sucks. I mean, does it really take six months to decide what teams are good enough to be in the playoffs? 160 games at three hours a clip? Who has the attention span for that, Chris? Reed, uh, Reed does. <laughs> Reed has, I know for a fact, Reed's got MLB.tv. Loves the Yankees. Because our long snapper, Reed Ferguson, also has the focus to snap a ball and know the number of rotations it's going to take, okay? That's the kind of focus it takes to enjoy baseball. I mean, I, Lord knows I don't have it. 
The only value I place on baseball is that it provides me something to watch while I'm at a bar so I can distract myself from pedantic conversation that might otherwise just devour my brain. Well, not for nothing. Oh, thank God football is back. Not for nothing. Uh, This week, Johnny Manziel got traded to Montreal, (laughs) so there is a chance that that might be worth watching maybe next week when he uh, starts for Montreal. All I know is, guys, we made it. We made it through the summer doldrums. We're here. Training camps are about to break all over the NFL. First practice. Thank God. First practice is tomorrow, which means what? Um, That I'm going to be watching a lot of Twitter. No, that means <laughs> that we are back to weekly episodes. Folks, we are going back to weekly podcasts. I know it was a long summer. I know it was hard for a lot of people to take that's that's an exaggeration. Nobody actually gives a shit whether we're here or not. Well, people complain that we went to bi-weekly, so we're back. We're back to weekly episodes until May. So Speaking of announcements, we've got a boatload of them. First and foremost, we're going to kick off tonight's show by wishing my producer, Chris, a happy 34th birthday. I thought he was 35, so, I mean, he looks it. I mean, Well, it, not to mention that you, ha- you have forgotten your wife's birthday. And yet before. I remember yours. You, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm more important to uh, to you than Larissa is. Oh, my God. Folks, he's 34, divorced, single. If you know any uh, hot women, send him his way. Actually, don't because he just he doesn't, he hey, won't know how to talk to him. Exactly. Please. It's, 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 been, it's been like a year and a half. Please, it's, ladies, throw yourselves at me. It's not going to happen, Chris. And second announcement. We're happy to announce the second season of the Rock Power Report Fantasy Football League. We'd like to first start by congratulating last year's winner, Mr. Alex Wormall, hailing all the way from across the Atlantic. And his team, the Manchester Schadenfreude, took home the title in the inaugural season of the Rock Power Report Fantasy Football League. How the hell we allowed a Brit, who should be somewhere playing soccer and enjoying room temperature beer, instead of embarrassing us in fantasy football on a weekly basis, to win the league? It's beyond me. I, I don't really know how it happened, but nonetheless, congratulations, sir. Applause to you. As promised, you'll be receiving your $50 USD prize today. PayPal, after the show. Why not in January when the season was over? Because some of us drink too much that time of year to remember such You're the Roger Goodell of (laughs) fantasy football commissioners. You're awful. Use that money, Alex, to buy yourself a tasty brew, maybe a cup of tea, a crumpet or two. I don't know what you people in England eat or drink, all right? Bangers and mash all the way around. All I know is that whatever it is that you spend this money on, I hope you choke on it just a tiny bit. <laughs> for everyone else out there listening to the show, if you're interested in joining us for this year's second season of the Rock Pal Report Fantasy Football League, be sure to shoot us an email, rockpalreport 716 at gmail.com. We're going to review all applicants, be, uh, you know, be creative. You know, creative resumes stand out. And we will send out the acceptance emails before week four of the preseason just for scheduling purposes. Wow. 
Chris, how, where did you finish in that league? I feel like you sucked. No, I, I think I was. I don't remember. I mean, I after I was out, I gave up. But, I mean, <laughs> so you sucked. I mean, I'll be more involved with it as long as uh, we don't accept Kyle Fahey into the league. <laughs> All right, and folks, with that, we are going to kick off this week's Bills news update. As you heard in our open, Jim Kelly was awarded the Jimmy V Perseverance Award at this year's ESPYS. Let me read to you the definition of the Jimmy V Award. This is an award presented to a deserving member of the sporting world who has overcome great obstacles through perseverance and determination. I mean, Chris, watching it, it was kind of surreal. I waited until the, really last night. You know, I came home from softball. I'd had a few beers. Larissa was asleep on the couch. I had a couple extra and then I turned it on. Because for the, I, I didn't want to hear it until I was in the right frame of mind to. But you sent me a text message that you didn't want to experience this just yet. It, you, for the, our older listeners, of how you felt with the four falls of Buffalo. The, yes. The, you waited like two months before you saw that doc. Like, yep. you had to m- mentally prepare yourself to, to take in what Jim Kelly had to say. And watching it, it was incredible. I mean, seeing Dan Marino and Jim Elway. Standing at the podium. John Elway. Jim, John, who gives a shit? <laughs> He's a Bronco. No one cares about that team. We beat them. They don't matter anymore. Bestowing an honor of that magnitude on one of their former former rivals. Jim Kelly is the second Buffalo Bill to receive the award. I don't know if anybody out there knows this. The first was former Bill's tight end Kevin Everett in 2008. I didn't even know that. Yeah. And honestly, I can't think of anybody else who right now is more deserving. He's at what? What? Second, third battle with uh, jaw cancer? Third. To see him take the stage with that Buffalo Bills pin just displayed proudly on his lapel. And the way that he launched into it, knowing that he'd struggled to speak and he didn't even hesitate. I mean, that is what struck me. The guy still has his balls. Chris, I cried. And then I listened to it on the way over here tonight, and I still teared up. Now, I I didn't cry because I was sad. I mean, we all know the man is sick, and we know how much he struggled to this point. Just to maintain his ability to continue being a husband, a father, a you know, an icon in this community. That's not to make light of it, but what struck me was what he had to say. And that's why we opened the show with it. Jim Kelly, a lot like Jim Velvano himself, urged everybody to instead trying to be a hero, instead of trying to do these grandiose things, just be a good person to people who seem like they might need it. Are you finally going to take this advice? <laughs> Chris, I, I don't know if you know this about me. I know you don't see a lot of it because I don't think you need it. <laughs> no. I don't even hear Larissa talk about it. I'm extremely sensitive to this. It's not the biggest message. It's not the fanciest thing out there that you could say, but it's perfect if you know anything about Jim Kelly. And just today, that that tough son of a bitch was shown to have no evidence of additional cancer during his MRI and CT scans. His wife put that on Instagram. So, Chris... 
raise our glasses to that. His message of just be a good person. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to do grand things. Just do something. It's the smile on the person's face that matters. That's something we here at the Rockpile Report can embrace. And for that reason, I want to do the following. Chris, I, I, I literally thought about it as we were dri- as I was driving over here. I want our listeners to email us at rockpilereport716 at gmail.com. I want to hear about somebody you know that you think might, might be in need or might be having a tough time. I want to hear about somebody who does for others and maybe could use a pick-me-up for themselves. 2018 has been a banner year for me. I've got a job that I love. I, I, I've gotten married to a gorgeous woman who... You outkicked your coverage. Who really does love me for who I am. Okay? All of my warts, all of my shortcomings, I couldn't ask for anything more. Your tits. I'm at the closing stages of buying a home, and the Buffalo Bills broke the drought. My life has been pretty great. And I realize that I can and should give some of that back. So from here on out, Chris and I are going to review all entries that we get, and we're going to give away some gift certificates to Wise Guys Pizza for a free dinner compliments of the Rock Pile Report podcast. Okay, I'm going to go get these, and I'm going to give them out, and we're going to treat some people to at least a meal. You know, it's, it's, it's not the grandest, most extravagant statement you can make. But it's like Jim said, you don't have to be somebody just to make other people happy. And you don't know the impact that that can have on their lives. I want you guys to help us do this. Okay, It would mean the world to me. That happened, on, for, at least for me, on... Um, what is, what is, I, think it's either, I think it was Saturday. Saturday, my, my parents went down to Fort Lauderdale. My, my mom's brother, my uncle, who has not made the greatest decisions in life. Uh, it has stage four... Uh, brain, lunger, lung, and liver cancer, and I have not talked to my uncle in like 10 to 15 years. And from what my mom told me, because I spoke to him on the phone, apparently I made his day because he is, like me, was a fabricator, very great at carpentry, so he enjoyed having a conversation with me about what I do as a machinist, I told him about the podcast, where he could listen to it. He, I, I apparently made his day, and he's fighting stage four cancer on his lung, his liver, and his brain. Guys, just email us and give us some candidates that you think that you know who might need here in the Buffalo area, who might need a pick-me-up. I'd be more than happy to give that to him. Okay? It, it, it's just it's something I want to do. And if you're also in the mood, go check out Charge Buffalo. It's www.chargebflo.com. This is Del Reed's latest attempt to try to give more to this city than he already does. They've got a sweet logo design promoting the fact that we've risen from the Rust Belt. And the proceeds, a portion of them go to help out the Buffalo City Mission, which again is just working to try to put a smile on people's faces. I'm getting one of their flags because I love the design, which is going to fly over my tailgate this entire season. Any of you listeners who are walking through the mud lot off 20A and you see that flag, come find me. We'll have a beer. We'll laugh about this. I have a feeling that some of you can embrace this too. 
Guys, get a hold of us. Let us know. I, I, I just want to do some good out there. I mean, this really did. It woke something up in me. And I just feel compelled to try to give a little bit back. Whew. Chris. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. take a drink over there. Because we're gonna have to we're gonna we're gonna have to do this after the after we finish Ugh. recording here. But apparently I have to owe a Seagram's to our listener, Eric Harris. Moving on in Bill's news. Josh Allen signs his contract today. I technically should not have to drink that because rookies rookies were supposed to report yesterday, and he did not have a contract. He didn't mix a practice, and you owe a Seagram. But he was supposed to report yesterday. You owe a Seagram's. You put your money where your mouth is. Last month, we discussed the fact that Josh Allen wasn't yet signed to a contract, and we kind of went over some of the postulations over some of the reasons that might be driving his contract holdout. Today, we avoided any kind of protracted camp distractions because Josh Allen did, in fact, sign that four-year deal with the Buffalo Bills. As we stated, the agency, which is CAA, the Creative Artists Agency, represents just a staggering number of rookies in the 2018 draft class, including six of the top ten picks. So it shouldn't be a shock to hear that Out of those six, only two of them, up to today, had signed their deals. Chris, I I mean, it's it's essentially, I mean, think about it. Roquan Smith, Denzel Ward, Sam Darnold, and Josh Allen were all unsigned with just days until camp was supposed to break. Uh, Yeah, I saw today. It's a negotiating tactic. Yeah, I saw today that Denzel Ward, so I guess. Everybody from CAA signed. Darnold. Except for Roquan, I think. I think he's the only one. That they're still fighting. Well, and then there's Dante Pettis, who only he isn't signed yet. At least and Sam Darnold that I've heard. I, of. I don't know that Sam Darnold is signed either. I guess so. I guess it's fifty fifty. But yeah, I had to. I had to actually. I had to text. I had to text Reed today because uh, you saw the, everybody saw the picture on Twitter of Josh Allen like signing his contract. Looking like he was in some weird back room with <laughs> no wall art. I'm like, it's probably. He, he could, at, I was it's like, it's probably at camp. Well. Yeah, now that I think of that, I was like, well, maybe he's in, he's in, you know, he, he's from North, Northern California. Maybe he's in like the backwoods at some house, or parents' maybe, house. Or Chris, or and then maybe I didn't he's think already of, at camp. Yeah, because in it, some dorm room somewhere, signing this just yeah. so they can get the picture. Yeah, because it is St. John's Fisher. Of course, they have nothing on the wall. I had to text Reed today <laughs> just to, to make an argument for my Seagram's case with Eric Harris. I text, I sent Reed a text. I was like, have you seen Josh Allen today? And he was like, yes. <laughs> exactly. He was at camp. That's what I thought. Okay, but he was supposed to report yesterday. And he Ultimate, didn't. Ultimately, you always see Grooms. We've avoided Bullsh- disaster bullshit. with our rookie quarterback who was taken seventh overall. I mean, if you look at those picks, Josh Allen was the one out of all of them who might need the most work in order to become good at what he does. So I'm glad that we found a way to get him in here, get him with the coaching staff, and get him to work. Chris, high five. Bang! We avoided disaster on that front. Well, not really. You don't like him, so. We've got big things coming because this opens up our discussion on our 2018 training camp preview. Chris, it's finally here! Oh, I love this time of year. I mean, think about it. As football fans, it's the time of year you stop seeing headlines in the paper like, insert veteran player here, claims insert year will be his best year ever. (laughs) Or, 
Comments by players who struck it rich or got snubbed about their previous teams. Those It all stops being newsworthy. And no one feels compelled to write any nonsense articles about how some specific rookie out there is just, quote-unquote, here to learn and help my team. Holy shit. If I had any more of that, I... Ugh. Chris, I'd put my head in the oven. Dude, just, just, dude, just wait. Tomorrow's going to be the first practice, and this starts a year-long process of Bean and McDermott just saying nothing in press conferences. <laughs> and I'm just going to... I'm going to sit here. I'm going to sit at every on my computer and, and listen and watch every McDermott press conference that lasts anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes. I'm like, all right, what can I pull out for the pod? Oh, he said nothing for 20 minutes. Just typical coach speak as McDermott does. No matter how you slice it, folks, Bill's camp is here. Oh, my God. The wait is over. Chris, raise your glass. That's what I'm talking about. So as we enter training camp, I'd like to give, and we're going to give here over the course of the next probably 40 minutes. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. we got a lot to chew through. Positional overviews. The good, the bad, and the ugly. In years past, we used to take the entire roster and just agonize over every nuance of it. All the minutia. This year, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to be chopping the roster up into categories for the sake of comparison and some debate. We're going to start off with the good. April, I know all this, okay? But I do like hearing it, so go on. The best position on the Buffalo Bills heading into 2018 training camp is the defensive backs. My only take on this is I like to see that, that you think that we have the, the, that's the best position group we have because... It's 2018. This is a passing league. You got to play pass defense. I love it. It's the best position group. Last season, the Bills had the 13th rated pass defense. That was despite finishing tied with the Giants for 29th in sacks. That, in and of itself, should tell you everything you need to know about how good the Bills' secondary was last season. They combined for 17 interceptions, which was good for 6th in the NFL, Two touchdowns and two sacks. And a, I mean, you talk about the passes defended. They had ball, hands on balls everywhere. <laughs> that sounds terrible when I say it out loud. They were easily the steadiest unit in a Bills uniform last season outside of Long Snapper. <laughs> we're heading into training camp with arguably the AFC's best safety tandem with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. We've got rookie standout Trey White heading into his sophomore season with a chip on his shoulder after being snubbed from the Pro Bowl and Defensive Rookie of the Year honors, in which I feel like he edged out Marcus Lattimore considering the Bills. He's one of the reasons that we broke the drought. I mean, Jesus Christ, what does a man have to do? And then we added NFL veteran Vontae Davis. These are our starters. And behind them, we've got a lot of interesting, talented depth. We've often talked on this show about how the switch to the nickel package. We started this season with it. Some injuries happened. EJ Gaines went out. We went away from it. And that's what precipitated that disastrous slide there in the middle of the season. Is we got away from nickel defense. And we had a defensive line that re and linebacker core, I guess, that really... Our front seven was not good against the run. 
I mean, our numbers were terrible. The switch back in that Kansas City game to the nickel defense. Hey, we're going to live and die by this. It saved our season. And it kept teams from picking on our linebackers in the passing attack. In order to make that work, you've got to have solid athletes playing in the slot to keep wide receivers from finding those soft spots in the zone that the linebackers are setting up. And at the same time, they also have to be able to tackle. Because if you run the ball, they've got to be able to shed a block and get to the get to the running back. In my opinion, this is going to be the backbone of our defense this season. I mean, the Bills went out early in free agency and signed cornerback Phillip Gaines. They got Vontae Davis. Phillip Gaines is a pure athlete who's coming off a couple really disappointing seasons in Kansas City, Chris. To me, most of his struggles are health-related, which is worth watching, but... He also might be miscast because as, as as athletic as the guy is, just saying, well, he's fast and he looks like he can cover. Let's put him man-to-man. No, in a zone, that guy might flourish, which is what we run, which is going to be really interesting to watch because he's fighting rookie uh, draft pick in the fourth round, Teron Johnson. Johnson flashed with the second and third teams during OTAs as a DB. This is going to be an interesting kind of battle to watch come training camp. Who starts getting the starters reps at nickel? Is it Gaines? Is it uh, Johnson? Either way, we have depth at a position that has been a problem and clearly was important to our success last season. (laughs) Speaking of depth, uh, let's go to the safety position, Chris. Raphael Bush. Sure. not, Not Reggie? No. Not sound no, Reggie no, Bush. No, we're done with Reggie Bush. Okay. Raphael Bush signed as part of our safety group this season. Veteran safety, formerly of the Saints. He heads into camp as a steady veteran presence as a number three. He also has experience, I mean, as a special teamer. The guy is well rounded. Last year, we started Trey Elston. Started Trey Elston. And left him in single high coverage against the uh, Oakland Raiders. I remember that entire game, I was holding my breath every time it was a play-action pass. And I'm watching the deep safety, and it's Trey Elston, and he's single high. And I'm going, oh my god, oh my god, don't blow this. And luckily, they didn't test him. (laughs) Luckily, it didn't blow up in our faces. Now, we have a stable of safeties, which we didn't have last year. That, to me, is huge. And beyond them, we have a lot of interesting camp prospects. Defensive back Breon Borders, Ciron Neal, and Levi Wallace. Borders, he was a solid project coming out of college whose ability to, uh, he, he plays the ball. I don't know. It, it, he's a small guy. He's undersized. And he didn't have deep speed, but he finds a way to get his hands on the ball, which is why the Bills picked him up because they thought, hey, maybe he'll fit our zone scheme. He could be a productive cornerback in the right situation. Wallace was a steady presence in the Alabama secondary, and he's looking to learn what it takes to hack it at the NFL level. He plays a really physical game, even though he's a small cornerback, and he excels in deep coverage. He usually outruns the wide receiver. That could be useful to a Bills squad. You know, especially one that isn't, I don't know, that's sort of, you look at what we have at cornerback, 
Chris, a lot of things are up in the air outside of the starting jobs. You know, when you go to a dime package, who's your fourth? It's a fist fight for that job. Then I think my one of my favorite players here is Saran Neal. He's one of the guys I'm most intrigued by. He was a draft pick this spring, which means he's going to make the roster because the team saw something in him. Unless he bombs. <laughs> I don't even know if then. But I don't think he's going to. I mean, he was at Ohio Valley Conference, which mm, it's not anything to write home about. But he was an all-conference player two years running and has ex- at two different positions, Chris. And he's got experience playing cornerback, linebacker, and safety. I mean, when you look at his tape, the guy has the athleticism to play safety, and he's at his best when he's used in the box near the line of scrimmage because he can get physical with wide receivers inside that five-yard boundary. And he has a willingness to take on and successfully make these big tackles. And you take a look at his numbers, Chris. I'm going to read this off to you. 2016, he was a linebacker. He had 80 tackles, half a sack, one forced fumble, and one interception. He was a coverage linebacker. In 2017, they moved him to freaking cornerback. Cornerback. And he still produced 39 tackles, 11 pass breakups, one forced fumble, and one interception. My whole my old thing with the, the defensive backs, and probably linebackers, and we'll get to them later on, but... As somebody that I, I tell you guys day in and day out, I don't know the ins and outs of football, but as a fan that can watch just with the eye test, I want to know who's going to stop Gronk. That that's what that's what I want to know with these corners. We play like nickel and dime, yep. Because usually Brady beats us up the seam to Gronk, and you got to get physical with him in between the five yards. That's what I mean. That's what I'm going to be watching with our defensive backs this year. Is, who well, you handle- got to watch out. He might give you the uh, <laughs> macho man bionic elbow, the flying elbow, if you actually get too physical with him and keep him from completing a pass. But having said that, I mean, you look at the versatility and the depth that our defensive backs, this might be the strongest secondary the Bills have fielded in a training camp in the last five to six years. It's incredible to me, and I think a lot of that goes back to coaching. And I'm excited because for as much as Leslie Frazier is a, you know, our defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier, he loves the Tampa two, th- you know, the Tampa two theory that that's a good way to play defense. Sean McDermott ran a lot of cover three when he was in Carolina. His specialty is coaching secondary. And what he liked to do was slide a third safety into the mix. So now instead of a slot corner, you have linebackers and safeties blanketing the field, which makes you, it's the most balanced, in my opinion, the most balanced defensive formation you can field. You're still tough to run against because you've got four down linemen. You, in this instance, have some athletic linebackers who can come downhill and plug holes in the run. And you've got extra safeties on the field who also are adept at tackling inside the box. I mean, Chris... If this, if I'm right, if what I'm saying is correct, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass. But I think that if we could, if the addition of Saran Neal means that we can run more cover three, this defense could be devastating this year. <laughs> I mean, it's just in terms of turnover, because it forces the quarterback to read more DBs on the field who can cover more ground. So in passing situations, it's harder. 
which gives our pass rushers extra time. And at the same time, it also makes us a tougher run defense than just your standard nickel package. All in all, I'm excited about this position group more so than anything else on our roster. Chris, do you have anything to say to that? No, because I already asked about it, and that's covering Gronk. That's all I want to know when it comes to DBs and linebackers. Because if, 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 as a season ticket holder, if I want to go to a playoff game, we got to win the division. We got to take out the Patriots. So that's their best weapon. Uh, That's their best weapon is Gronk. I want Gronk stopped. And I want him to go to the WWE. The cover three is a great defense for that. And the only reason it works is if with the addition of Tremaine Edmonds, you've got an athletic linebacker who can get out and shade more than just a shallow zone. That's why this all works. But I'm excited to see if that actually comes to fruition. I'm not going to bank on it. But if it does, holy shit, well, this this defense might come around. And a part of that is because the next position group we're going to talk about, defensive line. Last season, the Bills were the 29th ranked pass rush. Okay? We also, 29th ranked rush defense. 30th in runs of 20 yards or more and 32nd and we were the last place team in rushing touchdowns allowed dead last throw in all of these other just statistical just embarrassments by our defensive line you can easily say that 2017 was not a banner year for our big uglies on defense even if we did make the playoffs Chris it doesn't matter they were terrible up front. And I ultimately think that that was the difference in the game against Jacksonville. Oh, really? Our offense had nothing to do with it? Holding yeah. holding Jacksonville to 10 points? And we only, we only get three? You hold a team to 10 points, you should win. The best pass rush won that game. It did. Yeah, and we also had Tyrod. <laughs> As we head into camp, there is a noticeable difference up front. In 2017, the Bills' primary rotation at defensive tackle was bad. When I say bad, think about this. 35-year-old Kyle Williams took 68% of the defensive snaps. That's me. That's me one year from today. And Adolphus Washington played more than 46%. Those were our de facto starters. And the results speak for themselves. At defensive end... Reserves Eddie Yarbrough and Ryan Davis did everything they could to try to create pressure. But Jerry Hughes was the only defensive end who consistently got shit done. And he played 66% of the snaps. That meant that almost 40% of the time, there was nobody else creating pressure on the field. Not even just on the opposite side, but even on the field, point blank and period. <sighs> It's clear that Bean and McDermott realized this because in 2018, our defensive line looks a lot different. I mean, look at what they did in free agency. You bring in Panthers, uh, former Panther star Lotulale. That's right. That's the first time I said it correctly because I'm mm-hmm. sick of trying to piss off a bunch of people who. <laughs> Mario Lotulale. Under McDermott, Lotulale was a great defensive tackle. He was a force against the run and with, had the strength that you, you used to see from Holote Nada to push the pocket and kind of muddy up A-gaps in terms of the running game. 
They followed that up by signing at defensive end and outside linebacker Trent Murphy, who if he if he does in fact pan out, I will begin referring to on this podcast as RoboCop. Murphy, what are you doing? <laughs> He had nine sacks as a pass rushing specialist for Washington, coming in on third and you know third downs, third obvious passing situations, second and long. They also brought in backup level players like Odigizu. Chris, fuck you! Don't look at me like that. You say it. Odigizuwa. You pronounce the guy's name. Odigizuwa. <laughs> and former Dolphins defensive end Terrence Fetty. Yeah, they, they, he's coming in from Miami to try to contend for backup and special teams duties. And then in the draft, they went out and got horrible Harrison Phillips. I mean, you look at the guy and you you see his reps, you watch the tape. He looks to be a guy built much in the mold of Kyle Williams. He's a tackling machine, strong at the point of attack, can penetrate, gets a lot of tackles for loss. And with some coaching, might become more of a penetrator and pass rusher to where he ends up as a three-down starter. Am I am I wrong to to put uh, Phillips and Washington as fighting for a one, one position? Absolutely, that's one of my favorite camp battles coming up here. That's going to be one of the things I'm paying the most attention to. When I look at this unit, I see a few things. I see a unit that's much deeper in talent than last year's which obviously was needed. With the bodies we've added, don't be surprised if Kyle Williams takes on the reserve role, which is a perfect spot for him at this point in his career. And Washington and Phillips are absolutely going to duke it out for starters reps. And it's good to know that we've brought in players who can help create pressure opposite Jerry Hughes. Think about it. If Jerry Hughes isn't on the field, we got no push last year. It was essentially everybody back and just pray that a completion doesn't get made. It's going to be interesting to watch that unit gel, learn each other's tendencies, and just figure out who they're going to be in the 2018 season in the upcoming weeks of training camp. But I think it's safe to say that I feel a lot, lot better about them heading into 2018 than I do about the guys lining up behind them. And that leads me to the next category, which is the bad and possibly bad. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not going to do what everyone thinks I'm going to do. Flip out, man. I'm surprised that you're starting this with linebackers. Absolutely I'm starting this with linebackers. Are, it's, how, uh, how could we, you put linebackers in here with the, the kind of OTAs that we had from Edmonds? Is it because he's too young and you might think that they're asking too much of him for being 19? Let me run this down for you, Chris. On the strong side of our defense, you've got Lorenzo Alexander, who has been a steady player against the run and also provides some pass rush help and is solid on special teams. He's also been a liability in coverage and was a big reason the Bills were more successful playing nickel defense last season than base defense. On the weak side, you've got second-year player Matt Milano. Guy was ranked 14th at weak side linebacker by Pro Football Focus, which for a fifth-round rookie is kind of impressive. But, I mean, it's not exactly world-beating caliber. He's not a a world-beater athlete. He's just not. I think being ranked 14th at 
uh, linebacker by, or uh, what did you say, weak side linebacker by Pro Football Focus. That's pretty good for a fifth round. And then all who you, you ha- hate, you who you hated. And you've got a high upside rookie linebacker who hasn't played a snap of real NFL football. When you get past that, things get, I don't know, they don't get better and they get actually get worse in a hurry. The backups to these guys are Tanner Vallejo, who literally has not recorded a real NFL statistic yet. You've got journeyman Dion Lacey and Julian Stanford, who don't strike me as starter material. I mean, neither one of them has the athletic chops to stand out on the previous teams they were on. They are the epitome of journeymen. And then you've got a guy named Xavier Woodson Luster, who is literally just a prototype camp body. He's 6'1", 220, slow, and he's got subpar tackling. The guy's not NFL material. Oh, hang on. I forgot. Oh, boy, everybody. Ramon Humber is back. Said no one ever. The fact that Ramon Humber's presence on the roster has to be referred to as some people as a positive thing just shows exactly how bad our linebacking core is. He's the Willie Loman of our linebacking core. I think that the biggest thing that this unit is missing is just high-level athleticism. Most top-flight defenses have it. You look at the linebackers of the Minnesota Vikings. Those guys fly. They're all athletes. They fly to the ball. They make tackles. They're good in coverage. We don't know that we have that. I mean, I guess you could argue that we don't know that we don't. But I'm willing to bet against it. <sighs> I, I also, I mean, it's easy to say that we fixed all of our problems in terms of speed at linebacker by drafting one of the most dynamic rookie linebackers in this last draft at middle linebacker. You can say that, but for as much as I love Tremaine Edmonds as a prospect, I've got to be a realist in the sense that banking on any rookie at any position To transform an entire unit, you're asking for disappointment. I'd also throw in his age there. He was, what, 19? He's 19. At this point, our linebacking core is not stacked with top-tier proven talent. And the depth behind it is shaky at best. Even though signing Keenan Robinson is a veteran option behind our current starters, that helps. That adds a little bit. There's obviously potential, and as camp and the preseason unfold, we're going to learn a lot more about what we do and don't have. But until some of it materializes and we see the emergence of starting linebackers with the chops, or at a minimum the consistency to be gap and assignment sound, I'm left with a bad feeling in the pit of my stomach that if the DL can't just, if the, if the linemen, the big uglies up front can't get it done, and gel quickly to provide these linebackers the room to roam and make plays, we could see a lot more of those nightmare games, like the like the game against the Saints, which I honestly don't know if my liver can handle. <laughs> I mean, Chris, I drank a case and a half of beer that day. That's one of those games I'm going to be looking forward to if we have that at the Ralph, because now I'm a season ticket holder and... You know the whole the whole thing is we meet at your place and then we go to the game in your truck tailgate. We have a game like that. You're gonna be like, all right, I want to leave. It's the second quarter. 
I don't care. I want to leave. Drew, this is my first, the other this team my first has, season. It's the other team has older. 400 yards rushing, and it's the third quarter, Chris. We need to leave. <laughs> oh, and then under this banner, I have to bring up the quarterback position. All right, Josh Allen. <sighs> okay, let me find a way to preface this that won't piss off everybody in the fucking world. This is the same level of enthusiasm I'm bringing to the table in terms of the... <laughs> Bring it in. Bring it in. Okay. The amount of enthusiasm I had about the linebackers is where I land with the quarterbacks. Before everybody wants to pile on, though, at least hear me out. I was never a fan of Tyrod Taylor. Okay. Over the last three years, you all got to hear my patience with him just week over week over week erode. Like just a grindstone to the point of exasperation. I mean, regardless of whether it was about his avoidance in the middle of the field, his refusal to just throw the ball away instead of taking sacks. I mean, it was... But it was nice after 15 years of banging my head off the friggin' wall to not have to hear about a quarterback competition. And yet here we are. Another year, another quarterback competition that doesn't have a clear front runner, and my liver is going to suffer. I mean, Chris, I think each of these guys has the ability I mean, I mean, I don't even know how to handicap this race. I did just, I, I honestly just thought of this like two minutes ago. We're still working on you getting into camp as a member of the media. And I think when you go to your first practice and you see Josh Allen throwing the pigskin around, you're going to be like Chunk at the beginning of Goonies where he sees the car chase and he just presses up against the wing. <laughs> this is awesome! That's, that's totally going to be you seeing watching Josh Allen throw the ball. I refuse. All right. That's about as ugly as the next couple position groups we're about to talk about. This brings us to the ugly portion of our roster overview. No, God. No, God, please. No, no, no. Over the weekend, I floated a Twitter poll asking fans what positions they were most concerned about heading into training camp. And not shockingly, the next two positions were number one and number two by a friggin' landslide. It's going to start off with the interior offensive line. We've already discussed all the turnover that's gone gone on across the offensive line from 2017 to 2018. That's never good when you're essentially rolling out three quarterbacks with almost no or little starting experience at the NFL level. I've dug into the group, and while I'd like to be optimistic about their chances, I'm not thrilled with what I'm seeing. I'm just not. Okay, let's start at center. We're going to see a battle between the newly signed Russ Bodine and regime holdover Ryan Groy. Is it Bodine? Bodine? I'm going to call him Bodine because it rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. Bodine spent four years as a starter in Cincy. And when he was released, there was nobody in Cincinnati shedding tears. Nobody. According to Joe Goodberry, athletic sports writer, Cincy sports writer, and a damn fine Twitter follow, he hasn't improved much since being drafted. He particularly struggles when asked to get out in space 
and uses athleticism. I mean, it's subpar at best. And when asked to identify and react to stunts and blitzes up the middle, the guy almost seems lost. That's a problem. That's a problem, Chris, for a starting center. Well, I would assume Groy, because he's been here, is going to get is going to win that job, and Bodine be for bench. He'll grab bench. I mean, I'd like to hope so. I mean, look at Groy. He was listed as the Bills' secret superstar in 2017 by Pro Football Focus. He filled in really well for Eric Wood in 2016 when the guy broke his leg in that Seattle game. Whenever, I mean, our rushing attack, Chris, didn't skip a beat. LaShawn McCoy kept running that season, and we almost made the playoffs. He showed athleticism and an understanding for the scheme that he was asked to execute. And in 291 pass-blocking attempts, didn't give up a single sack, and only had nine total pressures. Chris, that sounds like a starting center to you, right? Yeah, I... He, he, there's no way he's not going to start. And I only base that because he's been here. He knows, he knows our coaching staff, our coaching staff knows what he's good at, what he isn't good at. And I, I think in training camp, they're going to figure out what Bodine is good at, which is riding pine. You'd like to think that. Here's the problem I have with Groy. Last year, they switched schemes to a zone blocking scheme. They went away from a power running game, went to a zone blocking scheme. And Groy was lost. Okay, he couldn't find a spot for himself. You know, the, thankfully, Rick Dennison is fired, gone. Hopefully, somewhere getting sunburned on a beach, like third degree sunburn, real painful. That's from me, Rick. That's from me to you. In my mind, the results of this battle are going to dictate a lot of what happens for our offense. In 2018, the entire offense. Because think about it. You're starting three quarterbacks who don't have a ton of starting experience. Somebody's going to win the job. It doesn't matter who it is. Somebody's got to win it. And if you're putting a bad center in front of them, you're almost setting them up to fail. I just... (sighs) And then you look at guard, okay? Things get a little bit shakier. Richie Incognito was playing at a Pro Bowl level for us. When he inexplicably crazied his way out of the NFL. With him gone, we're left with kind of a mishmash of talents and a bunch of names that essentially boil down to three players with a real shot at making this roster. John Miller, Vlad Dukas, and the recently drafted Wyatt Teller. Don't get me wrong. Each one of these guys has some positive traits. Teller, ferocious run blocker has a mean streak that I like, you know? That's the reason I fell in love with Incognito when he was on the Rams. I watched that dude throw a helmet, and I knew he cared. Then, I mean, you look at John Miller. I don't know what John Miller is. I mean, I feel like he's kind of in the same mold with a little less aggression, but he's got a little more proven athleticism. His run blocking isn't great. His pass blocking, I mean, I don't know where we are with this guy because he was a square peg in a round hole in last year's scheme, so we never saw him. And then Dukas. Dukas eventually took over as a starter, but he started the year with no consistency, and that's why he was riding pine. I've watched some bad offensive lines in my time as a Bills fan. So maybe that has me jaded, Chris. Maybe that's in my head too much. 
I mean, I'm remember, I'm remembering Langston Walker and, uh, Duke Preston and a Melvin Fowler. Well, we know that that's the position that you, that you relate to closely because you have huge, long gorilla arms. I played left guard as a little kid who doesn't, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. The fact is I watched the trenches and I watched the way we play and, I'll be honest, maybe I should reserve my judgment for when the pads go on and they're allowed to play with some physicality. But what I can tell you right now is that from a thousand yards, this has the look and smell of a lot of those other bad offensive lines. It's going to be a group that I'll be watching like some kind of horror movie with my fingers over my eyes when the preseason games come, just in case somebody actually gets killed out there. Oh, and then Chris, you want to talk about the biggest disaster heading into training camp? Every fan knows what it is. It won our poll by a landslide. The wide receiver core. We just hope. What are your thoughts, Chris? Well, we just hope Zay Jones. Zay Jones ain't gonna catch anything unless he jumps through a window for it. Oh my God! What an asshole. The wide receiver core this season might as well be titled Benny and the Jets because outside of Kelvin Benjamin. And former Jets slot wide receiver Jeremy Curley, I don't know another wide receiver on this team that can be trusted to do anything. We know that watching last year, if anybody, anybody out of our Twitter followers at Rockpile Report on Twitter, watch any of the videos that I put up, you did not like Zay Jones. I mean, he might have had a case of the yips in you know his first year in the league, but you know as much as. Coming out of college, like, oh, this guy can catch anything. He had a hard time last year. I didn't see a whole lot of that. And so now I'm going to give you my overview of the wide receiver position. Zay Jones is obviously, based on his pedigree and experience, the number two. But after that, what the fuck are we doing here? I mean, Andre Holmes. Who? Who? What? Andre Holmes is making a fuck ton of money for essentially only catching balls in the red zone that have bounced off of other people's hands. The guy is a bum. He's useless. He hasn't produced a damn thing. Kalen Clay, that guy's a good returner. He has six career receptions. So for anybody out there who's thinking that Kalen Clay is the answer, I'm going to quote Will Ferrell here. What? Rod Streeter is here for whatever the fuck that's worth. He flashed a little bit last offseason. I get that. But he hasn't proved that he can be relied on as a wide receiver on any team he's played for. And he's 30. He's 30. Coming off a season-ending toe injury. Ugh. Brandon Tate, that guy just died of dysentery. Or maybe that was just the Oregon Trail I was playing. But either way, he's not here for whatever that's worth. The rest of the position group consists of players who have never taken an NFL snap in an actual game. Who else here is excited? That's right. We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure. We've come too far. There's too much to lose. We've got to keep our composure. Woo! All right, I'm going to dial it back in for a second. 
Ah, I kind of lost my composure there, folks. I'm sorry. Ultimately, at the end of the day, there's a wide open competition here. And that's not a good thing. Maybe it is, I guess, because we run the ball so much that it doesn't matter who catches it. But damn it. I mean, this position has... It leaves me wondering who the hell constructed the roster. Even though I know that that's the wrong way to react. I pray that this position unearths some diamonds in the rough. And if that doesn't happen, as as our Rock Pal Report Fantasy Football uh, winner Alex Wormall might say, God save the queen. So Chris, are there any players you're really looking forward to seeing this season? Who has you excited? Uh, what we talked about earlier, the, the the camp battle between Harrison Phillips and Adolphus Washington. I mean, we expect uh, Kyle Williams to be the, the starter along with Starr, and then you got to have that rotational guy in there, and I think it's going to come down to uh, Horrible Harry and Adolphus Washington. And it, I really think Phillips has the edge because Adolphus was not drafted by this regime. Is what it that's, comes. That's what it. That's what it's going to come down to at the end of training camp, and you see that. Oh my God, Harrison Phillips won. Oh yeah, he was a third round pick taken by this regime. Okay, <laughs> this regime did not take Adolphus Washington. He's going to get. He's going to get cut. See, I, I'm. I'm. I love that you went defense, but my number one with a bullet is middle linebacker Tremaine Edmonds. He is. I. I, I understand the quarterback. Everybody's concerned with that. Tremaine Edmonds. He's my number one with a bullet. I mean, he was the silver lining of the first half of this year's NFL draft for me. I mean, let's face it. You heard me talk about it in this podcast. I threw myself into a drunken pit of despair after the Josh Allen pick. And I didn't even realize that we had traded up to draft a linebacker until the next morning. People were trying to talk me down. But as anybody who knows me can tell you, Once my crazy train leaves the station, all you can do is sit back and wait for it to inevitably derail, come to a full and complete stop, and hope that towns and villages aren't destroyed in the process. Chris, true or false? Yeah, that seems to be uh, about true for you. (laughs) You, you, Like, you lose your mind watching a game. I like to just, well, I mean, I, I like to have the phone on record so I can watch it later. And just sit back and watch you just lose your shit. But, you know, with, with Tremaine Edmonds, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong for not being a football aficionado, but don't we rely on linebackers to be the ones to call the plays? Yes. And that's, this is where I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at Tremaine Edmonds. He's an elite level athlete that we as a team haven't seen in at least a decade at linebacker. He's that rare blend of athleticism that allows him to come downhill, tackle with authority, yet be fluid in his coverage of running backs, tight ends, even slot receivers. He did it in college. I mean, I haven't seen many running ba- many running backs struggle on the wheel route. The wheel route is hard for linebackers to defend because it, it forces them to dig inside and then come back outside, outside of the tackle box, and chase a running back up the seam. And yet Tremaine Edmonds defended it multiple times with ease throughout his collegiate career. But he's still a rookie, and the book on him states that his instincts might need time to develop, and that's what I want to see. It's that development. Week over week, I want to see throughout camp, is he getting better? 
Is he understanding the nuances of gap assignment? Improving those instincts enough to make good on the potential that he physically has. Because if so, this guy's a bulldozer and a wrecking ball for any offensive coordinator. That's what this team needs. Moving on, players to watch. Wide receiver Robert Foster out of Alabama and Brandon Riley. I mean, Chris, we just got done bashing the wide receiver court. Somebody somewhere is going to have to step up. Both of these wide receivers have made waves in the preseason and in the early season workouts. I mean, you think about it. Last year, Riley, people were screaming for him to make the 53. Yeah, he had a good preseason. He did. Considering both of them have size and the athletic chops to play wide receiver, it would be nice to see if they can legitimately challenge for playing time and make me feel a little bit better about what we're doing at this position. I mean, Chris, size can cure all things. You don't have to be the fastest guy. If you're open, you're open. If you can out jump at five foot eleven DB because you're six foot two and you've just got a big catch radius, I'll take that any day over. Think about all the small wide receivers that failed on this team. Uh, all of them. TJ Graham, uh, Marquise Goodwin. TJ Graham. We could have had Russell Wilson. Don't even, oh my God, why do you do that? Yeah, you brought it up. You said TJ Graham. You don't think I'm not going to name Russell Wilson? You kidding me? He's taking like less than five picks after TJ Graham. You hurt me almost physically, Chris. <laughs> One of the other players I'm looking at, Saran Neal. I mean, I talked about it earlier, how this kid could be a Swiss Army knife for a defense in the NFL if coached up by the right person. Considering the fact that our head coach was a former DB coach, I assume they took him with a purpose. Oh, am, am, am I going to be looking at Saran Neal like a uh, a better version of Bakari Rambo? Yes, you should be. I am. God knows I'd love to see this kid excel. I'm going to watch his growth through camp. I'm super pumped about it. Another player, offensive guard Wyatt Teller. Okay? I'm not really high on any of the guard prospects that we have on this roster who are trying to take over the starting role, so I'm hoping somebody can just step in and surprise me. And the only person I think who has the chops to do that might be Teller. I like blockers with a mean streak. I mean, when you talk about Teller, Teller's solid in terms of running the ball. Passing, nah, he, he needs to get some chops, but... We're going to figure that out, whether he's up to the task or not. That's going to be what I'm most interested in on the offensive line in terms of battles. And then Josh Allen. Newly signed Josh Allen. Son of a bitch. I hated to put him on this part of the... uh, I hate to even talk about him. But quarterback Josh Allen is one of my players to watch. Now, folks, just so you don't think I'm being disingenuous, I want to refresh you guys on what I said about Josh Allen heading into the draft before we ever even selected him. According to Inside the Pylons Draft Guide, Josh Allen's collegiate stats for completion percentage and adjusted yards per attempt, taking sacks and everything else into into account, put him in a group of players drafted since 2000 in the first round that have some names that people are going to recognize for all of the wrong reasons. Let me read them off to you. Joey Harrington. Jake Locker. Kyle Muller, the famous one, the one that Brian Billick has talked about. Patrick Ramsey. 
and our very own J.P. Losman. If that doesn't make you want to vomit, then I don't know what does. <laughs> and then we drafted him. Oh, my God. And then I doubled down on it with a pros and cons list. He seems to have decent field vision, and he has the athleticism to extend plays. And that is literally the last nice thing I have to say about this guy. The cons. Serious accuracy issues. Subpar ball placement. Struggles to throw with anticipation. Turnover prone based on impatience. And I don't like his face. That was me talking about him before I knew he was going to be a Buffalo Bill. And I'm not shying away from any of that. He has a, this kid has a lot to prove. That being said, he seems to be the rack that we've hung our hat on. So it's going to be interesting for me to watch this guy play the quarterback position. Like I told you earlier, you're going to go to camp, you're going to watch him, you're going to be like Chunk from the Goonies. <laughs> you're just going to be like, press up on the window of the car chase. Oh, his arm, that's his arm, his arm, his arm strength's unbelievable. <laughs> I I wish you gave me a little more credit than that. Accuracy matters in today's NFL. He needs to prove that he can find it. Either that or the offensive coordinator needs to prove that he can develop a system that makes this guy useful. Well, I'm not I'm not also not, not going to be surprised with you being at training camp member of the media walking around with a milkshake like Oh my chunk. god. I could I could totally see you doing that. You're a horse's ass, Chris. So then moving on to players with the most to prove. I've got two. First off, quarterbacks Nathan Peterman and A.J. McCarron. You were coming into a quarterback competition with a newly drafted top 10 pick. Okay? The pressure is on you two to prove that you have, A, experienced what it's like to actually start a game in the NFL and act like you've been there. This guy didn't have the accuracy, didn't have the things that were necessary for him to be taken number one, Number three, I mean, he what was he? he was the third quarterback taken, Chris? Am I right or am I wrong? Yeah, third quarterback. Third quarterback. We could have had Josh Rosen. We could have had Josh Rosen. Ah, it, it it haunts me even talking about it. But Neither he's our guy. He's our down. guy now. But he's our guy now. Neither have played it. So down. I'm not trying to disparage Allen. What I'm saying is, these guys have to show up to camp and look like they have their shit together. More so than this kid. Because if not, that kid will take their jobs. He will. Chris, you know it as well as I do. Yeah, I want him to. And at defensive end, Shaq Lawson is firmly on the bubble come training camp. Would you? Former 19th overall draft pick on the bubble because in his two years in the NFL, he hasn't produced. They they wouldn't cut him, would he? Would they? I absolutely think they would. You send a message that way. Here's a guy who, yeah, he sets the edge in the run game. Does he give us anything else? Does he make tackles? Does he make pressure? Does he create anything that justifies him being here? Chris, all it takes is some guy a little bit younger, maybe a little bit cheaper than him, to come up. That I, that I can see. Especially and cheaper. That's the end of it. That's the end of Shaq Lawson here in Buffalo. There's a lot of pressure on that kid to prove that he can develop pass rush moves at the NFL level. It was a big debate with him coming into the draft whether or not he was worthy of being a first-round draft pick. 
And it turns out that he's been kind of a disappointment to this point. It's on him in year three to figure out whether he wants to be here or not. That's going to be an interesting battle to watch. Speaking of interesting battles, Chris, what else do you got? What are the couple? Give me two positions you're personally going to be following during camp. Mine is what you have here listed as number one, the offensive line battle. Because we don't have any quarterback experience. No. I mean, Peterman and McCarron are basically the same. While McCarron's been in the league longer, they have, what, a handful of starts together? If we don't have an offensive line to protect him, I especially don't want Josh Allen to be in there. No, I don't want... If, if our line looks like shit this offseason, I don't want Allen winning the job just on principle of you don't send a raw kid out there behind a bad line. You let someone like... I hate to say this, but you let someone like McCarron go out there, take some lumps for a year. Nah, you're going to eat shit, guy. But guess what? We're paying you $5 million. Go get beat. I mean, I don't know what else to say. For me personally, it comes down to offensive line, everybody besides left tackle. I mean, think about it. Marshall Newhouse is a guy that I'm pumped about only because, well, for two reasons. Marshall Newhouse is a veteran right tackle prospect who has blocked for some of the better quarterbacks in football. Aaron Rodgers, uh, Andy Dalton, Eli Manning, Derek Carr. Even though he's not elite. Elite. He's not an elite, elite quarterback. He's an elite quarterback. And yet, we have Jordan Mills. Anybody would be better than Jordan Mills, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm sorry. I need somebody to come in here into camp and push Jordan Mills. Having said that, offensive line is going to be a major thing I'm watching. Wide receivers number two through four is going to be a battle. It is. Because even though Zay is going to slot in it too because, well, that's where he was drafted. We took, we traded up to take him in the second. I want to see some of these young kids. I want to watch and see if they can push for some starting time. Push and show that their physical traits and that their desire to compete is good enough to get them on the field. Defensive end, Chris, number two and number three. That's where, that's where Jerry Hughes has brought the pass rush on his own last year. That's where we slot in when you just talked about about Shaq Lawson. I know. Defensive end 2-3. Is he is he there or is he not? And then ultimately the I, I guess the mother of all battles, which I was I'm sick and tired of talking about, the quarterback position. Ultimately, whoever wins, it's gonna be interesting to watch. We're starting this all out, and I'm just so pumped that football is back. Chris, cheers! So I know that's a lot, that's a lot to digest, folks. I know. I mean, it's crazy, but it's awesome. We're heading back into training camp. I mean, I just, I, I can't believe that it's finally here. And so, as we do every week, you know, we're going to move on to our next installment of the AFC East Roundup Training Camp Edition. And tonight, to help us do that, we have a very special guest. People call it the Boston accent. It's not an accent. It's a whole city of people saying most words wrong. Dante Scarnecchia is a fantastic offensive line coach. We all know that. But, I mean, he's working miracles with that kid. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have Christian Simonelli on the horn with us tonight. How are you doing, Christian? Good, hard to believe it's uh, the end of July. 
crazy. I know. Where did this summer go? I mean, I just I, I got married June 9th, and I feel like that was just like two or three weeks ago. I mean, it's just flowing yeah. by. So I'm taking a look over things here, and I'm seeing you know this name. I'm, I'm on Twitter today, and I keep saying seeing this one name trending, Shaughnessy, 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 Shaughnessy. So I'm like, okay, i got to figure out what this is all about. Apparently, you guys have a boxing match going on. Billy B versus, uh, what's his name, Chris? Bill Belichick. Yeah, Bill Belichick against... Dan Shaughnessy. Dan Shaughnessy in the local media. I mean, Christian, all of the talk around New England this offseason has revolved around this cloud that has seemingly been hanging over things in Foxborough. I mean, you have the Brady storylines that, that came out shortly after the Super Bowl and kind of tied into his TV show. Then you had to talk about Gronk being traded, rumblings that players are growing tired of Belichick in the quote-unquote patriot way. And then, <laughs> you, you, you know, they, they do everything they can to dispel that notion. And day one, out of the shoot, you've got a journalist getting into what amounts to almost an argument, as close to an argument, I think, as you're going to get from Bill Belichick. How's Patriot Nation doing over there? Well, I think you could probably tell from the questioning that uh, a lot of us still want to know the answers to questions that will probably never be answered. Why Malcolm Butler uh, played one snap in the Super Bowl. Um, why Brady and Gronk did not show up for OTAs. Why Jimmy G was traded for a bag of peanuts. <laughs> um, we just don't know, and we're, we're frustrated now. You know, I tell people all the time, you're going to get answers to these questions and they're either going to make you feel worse or you're going to just go, all right, that's why I did it. You're not going to feel better because you're not going to, most likely you're not going to like the answer to either, either one of the answers to the questions. So it happened. It's done. They lost the Super Bowl. Jimmy G's gone. Brady and Gronk are back, although they both don't have new deals yet. They're, they're, they're both, you know, will, will be reporting for camp. Um, you're not going to get an answer from Belichick unless you got it the night of the Super Bowl because he just goes, he falls right back on six, seven months ago. It's a new year. Last year was last year. I'm talking about this year. And that's all he's going to give you. Uh, classic, frustrating Belichick. And if he didn't win five Super Bowls, we all would probably just want to punch him in the face. <laughs> it's it's really interesting to be on this side of the fence after what it has to amount to 15 years of being just one of the most dominant teams, just one of the most dominant teams in football. This is the first time I feel like there's been any real frustration for the fan base. And, I mean, it's easy for me to sit here and say, well, you know, these are questions. He doesn't have to answer them, I guess, if he doesn't want to. I mean, hell, I hate doing things that I, I don't want to. If I, it, Especially if someone keeps plying me and keeps plying me and says, hey, you know, I, I, I want an answer to this. You're going to almost encourage me to do the opposite just out of spite, which we all know Belichick is capable of. But with that, if I was a fan... I'd still be screaming into the void for answers just out of frustration, if nothing else. So I guess, I mean, I get it. You guys are all kind of taking the on to Cincinnati approach. That's probably best for the entire fan base's sanity. So as we talk about actual training camp, I want to start out, you know, we're going to break it down into both sides of the ball, and we're going to start off on offense. 2017, you guys had a productive year. Number one in yards per game. Second in points per game, second in passing yards, 
10th in rushing yards and 18th in sacks allowed. When you're talking about the crop of players that the Patriots are going to roll out this year and try to make it back to the Super Bowl, you know, everyone talks about, first and foremost, I guess, I guess before we even get to that, Super Bowl hangover. Is it a real thing or is it not? Well, what do you think about that in terms of what your expectations are for the, uh, the Patriots this year? Um, if, it's, if history is any indication, there really doesn't there, that doesn't really seem to exist uh, in the Belichick Brady era. When you look at Super Bowls that they've either lost or that they've won, they've always come back and made the playoffs, and they've and they've usually made a pretty deep run. Um, most recently, you know, uh, they won in 14. They lost in the 15 uh, AFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. They won. Uh, they they went to the Super Bowl in 11. Um, they came back and, and made to the AFC Championship game the following year. So um, I think that it, it, it and even going back to the early 2000s teams, uh, you know, after 04, they made the playoffs. They lost that year. The I think it was a divisional round against the Broncos. So. Um, you know, they make the playoffs. Uh, they don't go six and ten, which seems like what a lot of, uh, <laughs> you know, Super Bowl runner-ups do. They either go six and ten or they just get, and they get absolutely just ravaged by injury. So, um, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I'm not expecting them to, to, to fall off a cliff. Well, that's, that's good for you guys then. Now, positionally, because that's pretty much what's going to dictate how you guys go about this and whether or not you guys make it back there. I want to start off with the offensive line. And, and I guess I want to start off the conversation, what your feelings are on the strongest and weakest position groups heading into camp. Your offensive line allowed more hits and sacks of Brady in the regular season than I think they did in the last like two or three, two or three seasons. Did they do enough to fix that in the offseason considering the loss of Nate Solder? And how are they going about that? Yeah, uh... You know, I hope so. I think the strength of the line is actually on the right side. Um, I think that I think that Mason and I'm, I'm going to go against my opening here and say a healthy Cannon is actually a pretty solid right side of the line. Andrews is good, not great. He's you know he's he's relatively undersized. Um, New England may have a whole new left side of the offensive line when they start the season. Um, the reason I say that is that Solder departed via free agency. And you were really left with uh, Joe Tooney at left guard and then sort of a swinging door at left tackle, which um, they drafted Isaiah Wynn from Georgia, and then they also traded for Trent Brown from San Francisco. So the prevailing thought here is that Wynn is going to be slid into left guard and take over uh, Tooney's spot, and Solder is going to be replaced by Trent Brown. And that's sort of sort of what, what the scuttlebutt has been now. There hasn't been a, a, a practice yet. There hasn't been a, a you know an opportunity to see any of these guys in preseason uh, action yet. But um, that's sort of what the thinking is in New England, and we'll see. I mean, you're asking a rookie to come in here and start day one, and you're asking a guy who's never been in the system, who was a bit of an underachiever in San Francisco, and kind of sort of tagged with um, you know being being lazy, um, you know, to be a day one starter. So. I think that's really going to be an interesting competition at those spots to see sort of how it all shapes out. So aside from the offensive line, which I think is a really interesting storyline to follow in New England, where else do you think the, where do you think the strengths on this offense lie? 
I mean, where, where, when you look at things that you can hang your hat on outside of quarterback, because obviously Tom Brady is back. <laughs> where else would you go yep. with that? Yep. Um, you know, obviously you could look at the tight end position. And you got Gronk, so that's a strength. After that, you know, I don't know. Um, I, you got Dwayne Allen, and I, I just I think to come in and expect expect some kids to do some stuff to make the roster a tall order. But Gronk is a strength. The running backs are a strength. Um, you know, certainly with James White, he's really you know Brady's go-to guy on third down. Um, although you lost Deion Lewis, you did draft Sony Michelle, who I think is going to be a pretty significant contributor. Again, you're counting on a rookie. He's got to get in sync with Brady, but he is a talent, and, and it's a kid that they've had back there that they haven't had, I think, really ever and with the ability to really make um, guys miss. And you get him one-on-one, he's going to be a pretty special player, and he's going to make some plays. So I think that's a guy to watch out for. And I think they're going to have to rely on the running back position as a whole. Guys like Rex Burkhead as well in the passing game early on um, with Edelman being out the first four games because uh, the wide receiver position right now is uh, it's in flux. I was going to ask. I mean, it, it to me on paper, well, first and foremost, fuck you guys because – I loved Isaiah Wynn and Sony Michelle. You guys have this habit of drafting players out of college that I absolutely love, and now I'm forced to hate them. I'm forced to hate them for the terrible things they're going to do to my football team. So, to uh, hey, I was going to say, don't don't worry about uh, you know Sony Michelle. He's just going to turn out like other late round, first round uh, running backs from New England, Lawrence Maroney. <laughs> I, I doubt that. Sonny <laughs> Michelle's a beast. Although he doesn't catch well out of the backfield, which is why it's going to be interesting to see how they split up the cat, split up the uh, the snaps and where everyone fits into the rotation. But it sounds like you're alluding to the fact that you think the wide receiver group this year for the Patriots is kind of weak. Am I following that right? We got Chris Hogan. Uh, <laughs> whoopee. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you hit it perfect. Uh, this just this Chris Hogan. And then there are a bunch of guys that I, I really don't know that much about because I've never really seen them in extended action in this offense. Um, Jordan Matthews signed a one-year deal in the offseason. Mm. He had some pretty good back-to-back seasons, and I know that may be a little bit sensitive for you guys. Um, mm. But I don't, know what, I don't know what he can do in this offense. I don't know what Philip Dorsett can do in this offense. I, I, I haven't seen him you know, extent, play extensively at the position. Um, and he made a couple of catches last year, but um, I don't know what's up with him. Malcolm Mitchell has sort of been a surprise the past couple of days. With um, There's been reports that he's had a, a surgery. Then there was a report that he had, quote, a procedure. Then there was a report out there that they were trying to trade him. So <laughs> there's a lot of uncertainty in that position right now, and I'm really not sure how that's all going to shake out. Uh, you know, I think you guys know through the years that, that Brady has not thrown for the best um, uh, wide receivers essentially necessarily in the league. Um, you know, there's always been the joke that you could take the past top two wide receivers and they could be three or four uh, wide, uh, number three or four wide receivers on other teams. So I think that may be, it may be that kind of year, um, at least until Edelman comes back. Um, Kadaro Patterson is another guy that I view as a special teamer, but, you know, he's a they very may good kick sort of I mean, he's bring a very, him in he's occasionally. A Cordero Patterson was a very good – I wanted him in the draft the year that he went to the Vikings. And I just remember watching him – I remember watching him and trying – just asking myself, you're big, you're fast, you're physical. 
Why can't you just be a good wide receiver? Why are you just a yep. kick returner? What the hell is wrong with you? But and it's frustrating. It's frustrating to watch as a guy who drafted him year after year in fantasy football. It's frustrating to watch just as a guy who likes the game of football. So, but I'll tell you this. It's really interesting to see from a standpoint of a guy whose current team plays a lot of zone defense, which is kind of built to keep the short throws in front of them and take away tight ends. If you don't have threatening wide receivers, I mean, that's that's something that I'm going to be watching. I hate to say this. I'm going to be watching Patriots camp news. That's how that, that's the sickness. I mean, I'm obsessed with this. But, you know, it's, it's like Rick Flair. You want to be the man, you got to beat the man. So I, I'm fixated on this. I can't get past it. Now, is there, I, I guess the other question that I have for you in terms of offense, and then we're going to kind of switch gears here, but when you're talking about, I don't know, the, I mean, Josh McDaniels is back after snubbing the Colts for a head coaching job. Mm-hmm. He's back. So the offensive scheme itself shouldn't change a whole lot. That being said, there's been a lot of personnel turnover. There's, there's going to be kind of that hole at wide receiver. You've got a single tight end who's a dynamic playmaker. You've got a bunch of running backs who are all weapons, and I'm sure that they'll find creative ways to use them. What is the tenor among the Patriots faithful right now that everything on offense is going to stay status quo and nothing's going to change? I mean, is, is, are you getting um, that feeling from people? Uh, we're, we're, the assumption is if 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 Edelman comes back healthy, I think a lot of people hanging their hats on Edelman. If Edelman comes back healthy and Gronk can make it through the year uh, relatively healthy without missing a significant number of games, they're going to score points and they're going to have enough weapons to, to you know to put up the points that they usually do in games, and they're going to be um, you know they're going to be a force again to be reckoned with. Um, Again, we'll see. You know, Brady has really a tendency, you know, throughout the year to have different favorites at different times of the year. But then once they get past, really once they get past um, uh, Thanksgiving, he starts to, you know, sort of zero in, um, you know, on guys that he knows he can count on. And I think that um, with Edelman being out the first four games, you're going to be able to get a look at the guys like Dorsett, Matthews, Britt, and he's going to know, okay, I'm going to be able to throw this guy or not. So the prevailing, again, just to circle back to you, so I don't want to the rails there, but just to circle back to your initial question, um, health. You know, these guys are healthy. Edelman comes back and, and, and is, you know, a representative sample of what he used to be, that they should be okay. That being said, guys with, with ACL injuries, it's usually the year after the first year they come back. Here's the first year. We saw that with Wes Walker. We've seen that with other plays in the league, like um, Adrian Peterson, you know, um, it's really that second year that with their knees at full strength and they can come back from it. So um, these guys are healthy. They're going to be able to score points with anybody in the league. Now, speaking of scoring points, that's something the Eagles did all over you guys <laughs> to a point where it was oh, almost, yeah. to a point where it was almost comical. Yeah, with a ba- with a backup quarterback. <laughs> with a backup, with a backup quarterback. quarterback. Which leads me to yep. the defensive side of the ball. Your 2017 rankings, God, fifth in scoring defense, which kudos to you guys. But after that, you were 29th in yards allowed, 25th in turnovers, seventh in sacks, which, hey, that's nothing to to sneeze at, 24th in first downs allowed, 
second in rushing touchdowns allowed, but 18th in passing touchdowns allowed. When you look at the defense as a whole, to say that it was a disappointment last year, I feel like would be a massive understatement. I think that you guys had this idea. Just hearing, I, I do, like I said, it's a sickness. I'm obsessed with the Patriots. I, I'm like, uh, didn't they have a Ace bunch? Vent- picture Ace Ventura when when uh, Einhorn had the uh, or Ray Finkel had the shrine to Finkel how is much, Einhorn. How much he hated uh, Dan Marino. Yeah, that's how I am with the Patriots. I hate them, well, did, so I obsess over them. Well, didn't <laughs> Christian? Didn't you guys have a lot of injuries last year on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, well, the biggest injury was Hightower. Um, Another you know, Alabama that player, was really the biggest injury. <laughs> he, he, you know, a lot of people pointed to him as sort of the heart of the defense, the guy that was the green dot. And when he went out, and a lot of people wrote about this after the Super Bowl that communication was a big issue, and you know, his absence really, um, you know, was the significant contributor to, to them just absolutely sucking. Um, other than that, there really weren't a whole lot of, of injuries on, on defense. They just sucked and had no talent whatsoever. That's, that's, I mean, not, oh, I'm sorry. Let me walk that back. Um, early on in camp, Derek Rivers, um, he tore his ACL and he was going to be, you know, really a guy that they targeted in the draft and was going to be their really their only true legitimate pass rusher. And he got hurt. And after that, um, they really had nobody. I mean, if you remember the opening game against the Kansas City Chiefs where they yes, got sir. torched. I absolutely um, remember that, that game. That game was a real precursor. I yeah. wasn't going to drink. And then I saw this as the score kept climbing and kept climbing. I was like, you know what? I'm getting beers. This game is fantastic. <laughs> I'm loving every second of this. Oh, so I, I what? So for Bill's faithful out there listening, you know, Stephon Gilmore, that name. And I guess, you know, when we talk about the strongest and weakest position groups on the defense heading into training camp for you guys, I feel like the biggest weakness, because from a talent, it's hard for me to, this is what I want to pick your brain about. From on paper, when I look at your defense, you had a Patrick Chung, you had a Devin, you had a McCourty, you had a Stephon Gilmore, and you had a Malcolm Butler. And those four guys, along with a lot of other Harmon, you know, you had some guys who have a lot of legitimate talent. And you guys were one of the worst pass defenses in football for a lot of the season. And in a lot of games, it kept teams in games against you. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. And it's ultimately the reason you lost the Super Bowl. I mean, I think we can all agree that Stephon Gilmore didn't earn his paycheck last year. And that the benching pretty much... Forecast of Malcolm Butler pretty much forecasted that he was going to be moving on. And you guys didn't have the best turnover numbers, despite having a defense that finished in the top 10 for sacks. Considering how everybody else besides Buffalo was able to throw the ball all over you guys, what did you do? Where did, how do you feel about this new cornerback group moving into the, uh, the new season? Um, I feel like I felt last year, I think they'll be okay. I think that at the end of last year, um, Stefan Gilmore really started to come on. He had some pretty good games down the stretch, in particular against the Jaguars um, in the AFC Championship game. Um, this year, it's been very interesting to see in the spring, it was very interesting to see how they sort of split the reps um, 
two guys you've probably never heard, never heard of and probably won't ever hear of again. Keon Carson and J.C. Jackson were really getting the reps at right corner, which is supposed to, many thought, was, was supposed to go to either Jason McCourty, who they signed in the offseason, or go to, you know, wait for it, Eric Rowe, maybe <laughs> the other star. Um, <laughs> you're licking your chops with that one. Um, that's my new uh, 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 Marcus Cannon, by the way, Eric Rowe. So Marcus Cannon, he's the Marcus Cannon for me on, on defense. I hate him. Um, so... <laughs> Jason McCoy didn't play a whole lot in the spring at all. And people are leading to think, well, is he, is he just not good? Is Belichick trying to get a look at these young kids? But isn't, isn't that what camp is for? Is he hurt? Really no sign that he was hurt. Um, so we don't know why, you know, uh, Keon Cross and J.C. Jackson were getting reps, but they were. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see uh, when camp starts who's going to be on that right side. Um, your safeties are going to be McCourty. Chung, Harmon, those are pretty much going to be the three that are going to be rotating in there. Um, Jordan Richards, Gulp, is also on the team. Um, he's like my Marcus Cannon uh, 2.0 on the defense side of the ball, another one I hate. Um, now, they drafted Duke Dawson, and he's that. projected to be their slot corner. Uh, they also drafted, you may remember this name, Cyrus the Virus Jones from yes, Alabama. They did. Corner. And he was terrible yep. for and you guys. Awful. Awful. Got, gets beat like a drum, got beat for an 80 yard touchdown pass in, last year in the preseason, and then hurt his knee, and just, you know, his career has been just terrible here <laughs> so far. So I think he's going to start the year on Pup, I think I read today. So it'll be an opportunity, uh, you know, to see a lot of Dawson. So I feel okay about about the cornerbacks, but but the about the secondary, but there are certainly some question marks there. So, going over the rest of the defense, where do you think? I mean, I know I saw that you guys signed. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll save you the time. The rest of the defense, besides High Tower, sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, continue. Finish your thought. I was just going to ask. I mean, I saw. That I was going to try to be a little more upbeat. Jesus, you beat me to the punch. See, I'm always looking to. I'm. <laughs> I'm a fan of shots below the belt, but damn, you just t- you just stole my thunder. I saw the Adrian Claiborne <laughs> signing. He's going to help a little bit with pass rush, but pass rush wasn't your team's problem. It literally comes down to the fact that you have linebackers who aren't very good, and you spent a lot of late-round picks on linebackers. I mean, is there anything else on your defense that you think is going to work as far as new faces that you brought in? I'm very hopeful. Um, I mentioned Derek Rivers a little while back. I'm very hopeful for Derek Rivers is is the guy that's going to blossom into a solid defensive end for this team and help out that front seven, whether it be a pass rush or whether it be you know helping out the linebackers in certain plays and dropping back into coverage. Dietrich's wise um, flashed a little bit last year, but you know I, I think he certainly needs to take another step. There are guys on this defense that that, you know, potentially could be, you know, could be good. Adrian Claiborne, he had like eight sacks last year, but I think six of them came against like one team. They was the um, Cowboys because so, they yep, were okay, terrible. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so you got a guy like Adrian Claiborne. You, you brought in Danny Shelton. Um, you know, he's most likely he's, he's going to be a space eater in the middle. Um, I think Malcolm Brown is a solid defensive tackle. Nothing great. He's no Vince Wilfork. You know, he's okay. Vincent Valentine, solid player. Adam Butler, solid player. But you hit it, you, you know, the narrow it on the head. The linebackers after Hightower, it's just 
an absolute suck bag. Uh, <laughs> Kyle Van Noy, Landon Roberts, Marquis Flowers, the two kids they drafted, and um, uh, Jawan Bentley and Christian Sam, late round picks. One's a thumper. Another one is, you know, can sort of be a, a speed linebacker. But, I mean, they're late round picks. I mean, these they, aren't, you know, these aren't second, you know, third round picks. So these guys are, you know, even a long shot to make the team, most likely they're going to be practice bars, if I have to guess. There is one name out there that some people have been talking about at linebacker. This is a guy that actually got in a major car accident last year during training camp, and he missed all the season. His name is Harvey Langy. And apparently he flashed um, in some some um, portions of preseason games. I don't know where the hell I was because I, I didn't see him. Uh, so I guess I missed that boat. But some people have been talking about him too. But the linebackers, um, you know, for years – Linebackers were the central part of the Belichick defense. Um, Brewski, Colvin, McGinnis, Ted Johnson, um, uh, Roman Pfeiffer, all those guys were, were sort of the central, uh, you know, nucleus of the defense. Then, you know, later on, you brought in a guy like Junior Seau, um, you know, for a couple of years. And Belichick loves his linebackers. And then they drafted Hightower and Collins in, in subsequent years, and they really had a nice nucleus there um, in 14. Uh, 13, 14, and 15. Um, and then they traded uh, Collins. Um, Hightower is the only one left. And it's just they, they need somebody there to step up big time just to have a second linebacker, not even three down the field, just to have a second one, um, <laughs> you know, to be good. So, yeah, um, I'm very worried about the front seven, in particular the linebackers, um, because I don't want to see any more Jordan Richards coming down in the box. Uh, trying to help out because we saw what happened in the Super Bowl. Um, yes, we did. Oh good. my God, it was yep. phenomenal. I mean, I, just hearing you, just talking to you, brings back memories of how happy I was watching the Super Bowl. You know, oh, I, I, mean, I can help. <laughs> we actually uh, popped a bottle of Prosecco, some really nice champagne that my wife's uncle gifted us as an engagement gift. We were looking for a reason because we're like, well, we're not really champagne drinkers, so when are we going to drink this? Oh, I know. When the Patriots lose the Super Bowl. It was phenomenal. It was, yeah, it was the remember. best. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I guess we're uh, – I got, a, I got a, a dumb question. Here we go. Either you can answer it because I – who the hell replaced Matt Patricia? I don't even know. That's how much I don't oh, pay attention. Well. I bet you he won't be using a pencil uh, to write on a laminated sheet. <laughs> he won't. Um, and and uh, his name is actually Brian uh, uh, Brian Flores, who he actually drew some um, consideration for head coaching uh, candidacy o- over the offseason. I think he interviewed with the Cardinals. And he's been a guy that's been on defense. He's coached the linebackers. He's coached the defensive line. He's sort of, He's sort of in the Matt Patricia sort of school of coming up through the Belichick system, coaching, you know, in a lot of different position groups. And he's not going to officially get the title um, as defensive coordinator, but he will, in fact, be the de facto defensive coordinator, much like in um, in 05 when McDaniels took over for Charlie Weiss. Um, he wasn't officially, you know, given the titles, given the title of, of defensive uh uh, offensive coordinator, excuse me, but, you know, he was the one calling the plays. So, as of right now, Brian Flores is the linebacker's coach slash defensive <clears throat> coordinator. I've got one final question for you, and it's the it's the biggest question in every Bills fan's mind. When the hell is Tom Brady going to retire? Knock it off already. 
I'm going to make a prediction. I think this is his last year. Oh, oh. my God. You, I'm not going to lie. I'm pitching a half stack just hearing you say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really think he's kind of getting to the end of his rope? Do you think he's getting to the end of his rope a little bit? I do. Um, in this off season, uh, I just I never had so many questions, um, you know, surrounding him returning. There was never ever a whisper of him, you know, not wanting to come back, um, you know, thinking about retirement. And we all know the Facebook. Um, you know, documentary series that he had. He took a long time to come up with that last episode because, um, you know, he had it filmed that, you know, when everything was centered around the episode, them winning the Super Bowl, well, they lost. So the ending was, 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 was a little bit different for him. And during the offseason, um, you know, just again, I'm going off of, you know, things like the Instagram posts. There were, you know, so many various, you know, comments back and forth. He had a, a sit-down and one interview where they asked him a question about his relationship with, with um, Belichick. And, you know, he said it was great and he loves him. And then there was another question about, um, you know, the offseason and about, you know, the Super Bowl. And I plead the fifth. And, you know, Brady is a pretty di- diplomatic person. He, he does a pretty good job of sort of deflecting questions. But there is clearly a big... Um, issue with him and Belichick. Uh, and I think that it really came to a head with the Garoppolo trade. And I think that I, I buy into the camp that, that Brady went to the owner and ultimately forced Belichick to trade Garoppolo. Um, I think Brady came in and said, listen, it's me or the kid to Kraft. And I think Kraft is sentimental. Um, he obviously loves Brady. And I think that that was sort of the part of the beginning of the divide. The other thing, of course, is the thing with Alex Guerrero. And Brady is, is uh, you know, the whole thing with the training and, and the TB12 method and Guerrero, he is obsessed with that. And he is of the belief that his way is the right way. Much not the, the only way. Wait, well, well, I was right going to say, much and, in the way that Bill Belichick is, which if you yeah. put two people who are strong-willed people who both believe they're right in the same room, you're, that's a recipe for a fistfight. Yep. And it's amazing, and a lot of people say that, that, you know, because of their two personalities, like you just said, it's amazing that it's lasted 18 years, it's lasted this long. And I think that Brady, I get the feeling, again, I may be wrong, you know, you hope I'm right, I hope I'm wrong, um, that I think he's got a lot of pressure on the home front, you know? I think his wife is saying, look, you know, you've played almost 20 years, you have five rings, if you win one more this year, if you win a sixth, what's left? Yeah. yeah, you love it. Yeah, you want to keep playing. But what's what's left? You'd be going into your 20th year at 42, at 42 years old. Yeah, you hear that, Christian? You know, what are you kidding? Christian, he's, he's got his <laughs> wife in his ear. Take note. You've got <laughs> that coming no, to you. I, I'm writing it down as we speak. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I think, I, think she's, I, think she's, I think she's definitely putting some, some heat on him. And I think that there's a part of him that, that may be coming to that realization that, yeah, I have accomplished a lot. I do love it, but it is a lot of work for me to get ready for. Again, this is the sort of the feeling I'm getting. It's a lot of work for him to get ready for it every year. I think him staying away in the spring from the OTAs spoke volumes. Um, you know, this is a guy that has always been here during the off season. He's always preached how that work is so important, and it's just as important as the practices in the season and the training camp practices. 
and he basically blew it off until he had to be there in June for the three days. Um, and there was actually some indication that he, he um, was just unhappy with the whole situation. And the other thing is the contract. I'm very surprised that him and Gronk um, have not had their contracts done yet. I think that also speaks volumes. I think that, um, you know, Belichick is notorious for, now I'm not saying he's going to trade Brady, but he's notorious for trading players in camp. You know, he's done it throughout the years. Um, you know, we've been surprised. Logan Mankins got traded one year out of the blue. It was actually the Super Bowl in 2014 year. Richard um, Seymour? Mankins. He traded Richard Seymour. Um, not afraid to trade guys by any means. Um, traded Dion Branch. The Seahawks then come to a, a, a contract, uh, you know, with him. So I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on. But yeah, I think, and I hope I'm wrong, but I think this is Brady's last year. I hope, I actually hope that you're, you're, uh, you're right on that because I can only imagine sure March, March, April, you know, I would say maybe a month after the Super Bowl, he might make that announcement. You know, up here, that's like right around when spring begins. You're, you're going to have some hell of a party. You're going to get that smoker going. I'm going to, you're going to, you're going to grill out and smoke so much meat and have Simonelli, a weekend bender. I'm going to throw a weekend long party. <laughs> you will be invited. And hopefully we can send him off with a loss on Monday Night Football just to kind of put a bow on everything. Buddy, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. We really appreciate it. Where can people find you on social media? Guys, thanks for having me. Uh, at Chris with the T-I-A-N on, um, on Twitter. And, uh, give me a follow. You rag on my team, I'll rag on yours. That's how it works. <laughs> He's clearly knowledgeable, folks. Throw him a follow. Christian, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Again, that's Christian Simonelli at Chris with a T-A-I-N on Twitter. Drew, I am quite impressed that you were able to remember my birthday today because I, I do know that you have forgotten Larissa's. You didn't even know her birthday. <laughs> I know that for a fact. I kept you. Is, I kept I kept calling it the wrong day. Isn't isn't is isn't it right that the numbers used for your password for your home Internet is Larissa, Larissa's birthdays, and it's wrong. Yes, that's you, a fact. That's a fact. I thought I was picking a number she would remember because it was her birthday. It turns out I was wrong. <laughs> and you remembered my birthday. And thank you for putting up the uh, the headshots, Ab- my acting headshots. Absolutely. Guys, go check out Charge Buffalo, www.chargebfalo.com. Go check it out. And remember to email us because I really do just want to try to give back to somebody out there who might be having a tough time. I want them to feel the way that I feel today because they deserve it based on what they've gone through. And guys, I love this football team. I'm super excited for the return of football. It's And weekly podcast. We're back weekly. We'll be back next week. Guys, all I can say is this. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.